Hi everyone, and welcome to this month's Mercia Auditing and Accounting podcast with me, Lee Eaglin. Today, we're going to take a look at some of the common issues we see in audit reports, which will often lead to an adverse grade in our file reviews. It's important to remember that the audit report is the one visible output from your audit work. It's the only item in the client's financial statements that you as the auditor are directly responsible for and therefore really emphasises the need for care and attention to make sure the content of that is appropriate as quite often it's an area that we see the audit almost fail at the final hurdle and can give rise to there being quite a, a significant quality issue in that final output from our work. Before I dive into some of the specific issues, let's have a think about more generally what would govern audit report content. So typically for, for audit reports, we're going to be thinking about the requirements of IC 700 and then also the relevant legal requirements relevant to that entity. So for most corporate entities, that's going to be the Companies Act. However, there are a number of other ISAs which would drive content. So we're going to be thinking about ISA 570 for going concern. We're going to think about ISA 701 for key audit matters for entities that that's relevant for. We're going to be thinking about ISA 705 where we potentially need to modify our audit report. ISA 706 where we might want to include an emphasis of matter or certain other matter paragraphs. ISA 710, where there are issues around comparative information. And then finally, ISA 720, regarding our wider responsibilities as auditors for other information, maybe in an annual report. Today, whilst I look at the, the more common issues, clearly the, the most common issue we typically see in an audit report are quite file-specific i.e. it relates to an evidentiary matter regarding either a particular modification or support for a clean audit report. So clearly they're far too specific for me to look at in, in granular detail. But I'm going to be focusing on some of those which are at face value maybe a little bit more obscure, but recur relatively frequently and are often overlooked such that they will give rise to some issues in our file reviews that we perform. First off then, let's have a think about the requirements of ISA 710 and those in respect of comparative figures. Now, both ISA 510 and 710 make it clear that for an initial engagement, we need to make sure that those corresponding figures, those prior year figures, are free from a material misstatement. And ISA 510 gives us a guidance for the typical work that we would perform to, to get that comfort and assurance that we need. Now, in ISA 710, there is then an additional requirement, which is quite frequently overlooked, that where the comparative figures are unaudited, you would need to include an other matter paragraph in your audit report to make that clear, i.e. draw attention to the reader that last year's financial statements were unaudited. Now, for clarity, the ISA is very clear that that doesn't stop your responsibilities from having to obtain the evidence you need that those prior figures are free from a material misstatement. But nonetheless, we have to draw attention to the fact that last year's numbers weren't explicitly audited. Next then, let's have a think about reporting by exception. So here I'm thinking more generally around some companies that requirements. So for our corporate clients, we have to be mindful that we do have certain matters that we report on by exception. And our audit report will list those out as typically we don't have anything to report. So that's thinking about have adequate accounting records being kept? Are the financial statements in agreement with the underlying records and returns? Are details of director's remuneration been made appropriately? Have we as the auditor received all the information and explanations we need? And where relevant, was the entity entitled to take advantage of the small companies provisions? 
Now, most of those generally go hand in hand with a clean audit report, but we do have to be mindful of there could be some specific circumstances that mean we do need to report by exception for those areas. Now, as a general rule, what I would say, if you're issuing either an adverse or a disclaimed opinion due to a limitation of scope, that could well be indicative that the client hasn't kept sufficient records and therefore you can't audit those records. So just be mindful of that interrelationship there with other conclusions you could have reached elsewhere. Similarly, if you're modifying your audit report, say because of a disagreement or a factual error, that might call into question, do the financial statements agree with the underlying accounting records? Because your opinion is potentially saying they don't. So again, just be mindful of other conclusions that we've reached and how that could have a knock-on impact on those matters that we report on by exception. Next, we'll think about the differing legal requirements. And specifically here, I'm going to use charities as an example, being one of the more frequent areas that we sometimes see firms get into a little bit of trouble with drafting their audit report. Now, remember that for, for charities, we can have different sort of the corporate and legal structures at play. So we could have a corporate charity that is bound by both Companies Act and the Charities Act, but more generally, we could also just have a charitable trust or a CIO, which would generally just follow the Charities Act. Therefore, be mindful of if we have purely a charitable trust or a CIO, there shouldn't be any reference to any Companies Act matters in that audit report. So typically, what would I expect to see there? Well, the Companies Act gives us some other matters to report on. I wouldn't expect to see those in, in a what I call a pure charity audit. Again, whilst less critical for it, for sort of those that are just bound the Charities Act, I would typically expect to see that audit report signed off in the firm name rather than the name of the senior statutory audit, i.e. the RI that led that audit. If I flip that round and let's think about a corporate charity, so those that are bound by both Companies Act and the Charities Act, we have an extra complexity that we need to think about and consider. Remember, companies and charities have a different audit threshold, the charity threshold being lower. So we could have a corporate charity which sits below the corporate threshold under the Companies Act, but above the Charities Act threshold for an audit. We therefore need to be clear with the exact scope of our audit. Are we just performing an audit under the Charities Act or have the directors or trustees of that charity opted to voluntarily also have a Companies Act audit, because that will then drive some of the wider requirements of our audit report. So I said, if we're purely doing a charity audit, we will drop those other matters paragraphs that get um, included from the Companies Act. But it would also dictate whether we can sign in the name of the firm, or if a corporate charity has voluntarily asked for a Companies Act audit or is above the Companies Act threshold, that would need to follow the Companies Act provisions, i.e. it would be signed in the senior statutory auditor's own name and then note the name of the firm under that as well. So charities are a bit of a minefield to, to unpick the different permutations that are at play. So really, really do be careful when you're picking the appropriate template to use or if you're tailoring that, that template yourself, do be really careful with what the requirements are and what's relevant for the particular entity and their circumstances. 
the final topic then that I want to focus on a bit of detail today is what I call the irregularities wording. Now, this was introduced with a change to ISA 700 and has generally impacted um, financial statements from year ends from 2020 and onwards. But I suppose just to reiterate that those requirements have now been emphasised and have been incorporated into recent revisions to ISA 240. Now, what are those requirements? Now, we're, we're hopefully comfortable. We've got some additional content now in our audit report that talks about irregularities. And typically, that's going to be how have we responded to potential issues with non-compliance with laws and regulations and fraud. Now, a point I often discuss with firms on file reviews is, yes, I would expect to see a high degree of commonality over the points of the reference. Again, typically the audit procedures in response to those irregularities will be similar from engagement to engagement. They're not always identical. So really take the time to make sure you've tailored that wording as granular as you can. So for example, if you're talking about auditing key accounting estimates, well, what were those estimates? How is there specific work you did for that client's particular estimate that might differ from another client's estimate and try and make that storytelling come across a little bit more? Again, in terms of the, the laws and regulations, what were the laws and regulations specific to that entity? And that will just show a deeper level of tailoring and, and understanding to, to respond to that requirement. I suppose with that in mind, I want to make you be guarded against using boilerplate generic wording and, and rolling that out on every single one of your audit files. The, the risk you run in in that regard is there will be some circumstances that typical procedures you would perform may not be relevant to a particular audit, but by including a reference to that in your audit report, you're almost trying to take credit for work you haven't done. Now, if I think of a common example that I would I would typically say on a file, not all entities will maintain board minutes. However, the vast majority of audit reports I read will cite, we have reviewed the client's minutes. So do just be careful that when your audit report is calling out specific work that has been performed, that should be readily available to be able to be found on file. So what we're generally recommending to firms is make sure you've got a work paper that takes your tailored wording for that irregularities wording and directly maps that and references to where that work has been performed on file. I hope you found that recap and run through useful of where we typically find audit report issues. In terms of how we can help further, uh, we've published a blog recently, which just recaps the points that I've covered today in a little bit of detail as a reminder. More generally, if you want help and assistance and are having difficulty with tailing your audit reports, feel free to submit a, a query for our te technical queries page and we'd be more than happy to help there. As said, I hope you found this useful and I look forward to either speaking to you in another podcast or seeing you either on a file review or a course soon. Thank you for listening to the Mercia podcast. For more information on this topic, please visit mercia-group.com.